Good morning, Celebration Church. How y'all doing today? Good to have you with us, those who are joining with us uh, via satellite uh, over on the west side and down in the cafe. I'm not sure if Point ever got online. I think the uh, storm last night messed up their dish so much and they can't find the satellite in space. So uh, that means Pastor Ray gets to preach. So he'll do a good job if they haven't tuned in. Um, but we're glad that you're here. I know there's a lot of snow this morning. I, I, I know when I got up this morning and looked out the window, I thought, oh boy, here we go. <clears throat> and uh, then I turned on the TV because I wanted to see what the other churches were doing. And uh, <laughs> just in case you needed to cancel or something, you know. But uh, so I'm looking at such and such church canceled, such and such church canceled, such and such church canceled, such and such church canceled. The mall will open at 10, such and such church canceled, such and I went, <laughs> did anybody see that? Yeah, that's what I went. Oh, for crying out loud. If the mall can be open for business, for things you don't really need, then the kingdom of God can be open for business for stuff that you do really need. Besides, we're Wisconsin people. Manly men, tough women. Hallelujah. Anyway, let's all stand together. All the campuses everywhere. Let's all stand together. And give our profession of faith this morning together as a congregation as we recite the Apostles' Creed. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. And on the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may all be seated. Well, this morning, before I, uh, at the start of my message here, I want to play a couple of video clips for you. The first one kind of just underscores the confusion that a lot of people feel uh, today with all the mixed messages of Christmas. And then right after that, a short little clip showing our attempt for the perfect Christmas family picture. A long time ago, in a land called Bethlehem, a savior was born. Due to extreme lack of vacancy, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords entered the world under subpar lodging conditions. Oh, hi there. I'm sorry I don't have no room for y'all here at the inn. But if you head round back, I got a stable where I keep an abundance of livestock and swaddling clothes. The story is a familiar one. There were sheep and donkeys and shepherds and angels and Mary and Joseph and a big star and eventually some wise men. We prefer magi. How come I always get stuck with the gold? After After this, this, things things get get a little hazy. Around 350 AD, the commonly held January 6th date of Jesus' birthday was changed to the currently recognized date of December 25th. As Christianity flourished in a growing world, people from all over the planet began lending traditions to the holiday. Throughout the Middle Ages, the most prominent contribution was the carol. Black, black. 
Celtic cultures infused their symbols of mistletoe and holly, while the Italians developed a tradition of reenacting scenes from the birth of Christ. Gather round, my friends. I give you the nativity. Somehow, over time, sheep and shepherds gave way to a big red fat guy, <laughs> some flying woodland creatures, and a sulfuric ball of guiding light was replaced by an evergreen tree. Nothing says holiday like a bunch of dead pine needles in the carpet. Today, Christmas is so infused with the elements of tradition and culture that it is easy to lose sight of the holiday's purpose and origin. Well, if you turn your attention to Exhibit A, you will note that the baby Jesus now shares his birthday with a growing selection of seasonal festivities. <laughs> the true meaning of Christmas is not only in competition with itself, but also with a number of holidays catering to a varying assortment of idealisms and religions. Oh, well, hey, Merry Christmas, Hana Kwanzaa, everybody. <laughs> yeah. With all the pretty lights and glorious smells, it's hard to remember why we even call it Christmas in the first place. Ho, ho, ho! Are you a good boy or a bad boy? Hey, where's the fat man? Claw called. He needs to cover his ship. Peace on Earth. Goodwill to men. Happy Hanukkah! The sea is silent. Kwanzaa is cultural reaffirmation. Yeah, hi, map. I'm looking at Superman. Ho, ho, ho! All the lights blanking. You can give gifts to your friends. Let's go play spin bredo. Ho, ho, ho! This has been a short account of Christmas. What is it about the family Christmas photo that brings out the worst in people? We talk about peace on earth, goodwill to men, and we don our gay apparel and best smiles. Yet, what goes on behind the scenes of the family photo often contradicts the final image we're trying to convey. But perhaps this conflict of what we are and what we wish to be is what the Christmas season is all about. The truth that we need someone to save us from ourselves, from our impatience, our frustration, our selfish clash of wills, and perhaps even in our best moments. What the camera captures isn't the image of a perfect family as we are, but the possibility of what we can be through the hope that Christ brings. There you have it. Well, I was being text as texted as we were watching that. The Stevens Point campus is now online. Hey, y'all. So uh, glad they've joined with us. This morning, I want to give you a message kind of keying off of that last clip, talking about the perfect family Christmas. Now, what I want to do is I want to look at a very special event that was going on in the Gospel of Luke, Luke the 10th chapter. Now, it's, it's not a Christmas event because you don't really find any other than actually the birth of Christ. Uh, and this might rattle some of your worlds, but the truth is the Bible never tells us to celebrate Christmas. It just doesn't. In fact, Christmas wasn't celebrated until hundreds of years after the birth of Christ. Everybody thought, well, gee, we ought to celebrate. And indeed, I think it's wonderful that we do that. Uh, and as you saw in the clip there at the beginning, what they kind of did is they moved what they thought was the traditional time to a more accepted time uh, in their culture, which was because they used to have these big pagan uh, 
winter celebrations uh, and, uh, and kind of mix it all together. And throughout the centuries, uh, got more and more of it involved. The truth is, Christmas didn't really start taking off even in reality, like to the 1800s, when uh, it started really building some steam in, in uh, Western culture and Christian culture and, and stuff. So, you know, um, you know, sometimes people get all upset about the secular part of Christmas. That really doesn't bother me. You know, I have as much fun with it as anybody. Uh, you know, because again, there is no biblical thing that we have to do this. I think it's wonderful that we do and it's great to do it. What I don't like is people telling me what I can or cannot do. You know, you can't say Merry Christmas and you can't put up nativities and you might offend somebody. Oh, grow up for crying out loud. This country's gotten nuts on we can't offend anybody kind of nonsense. But anyway, so, uh, you know, we need to pick our battles. That's why you don't see me getting all lathered up when, you know, the whole Christmas thing. The reality is, you know, it's kind of funny. We as Christians oftentimes will get caught up in things that don't matter. Anybody ever notice that? And start fighting about things that don't really matter. You know, we might ignore the poor and the hungry and and hate and fight people and criticize and walk in sin. But by golly, we're going to have an activity, you know, if it kills us. Well, you know, it's it's more important that we do the former rather than the latter. It's the, the reality of Christianity is living and experience Christ in your life. Somebody say amen. Y'all looking at me like you're on drugs this morning. Anyway. So we can't find an actual Christmas celebration in the Bible. What we can do is find a special event where there was this hostess, Martha. And just like family Christmases, she wanted everything to be perfect. So we read about Luke, the 10th chapter, it says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted. Anybody ever feel distracted by all the preparations that had to be made? And she finally came to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister is sitting upon her buttocks? Different translation. (laughs) And has left me to do all the work by myself. Tell her to help me. Well, now, in this gospel account, we read of how Martha was beside herself as she worked to get all the preparations that had to be made around the house. She was ticked off at her sister for not helping. She goes to Jesus, demands that he tell her, tell him to help. Does it sound like Christmas at your house? Lots to do, much to attend to, not enough people willing to help out. People sitting on their butts and not getting involved. Lots to do, lots to do. Well, let's take a closer look at what happened in the story with Martha. Now, first of all, we have pressure. Pressure is upon us because Jesus and disciples were here and the Bible says Martha opened her home to him. Who opened the home? Whose idea was this? Martha creates the very thing that's driving her nuts. Sound familiar? We often create the very thing that makes us go a little insane. And Martha does this, and it was a self-induced pressure. It was Martha's idea who invited Jesus and the disciples over in the first place. But the reality is it doesn't matter whether or not you create the uh, pressure or if it's the calendar that tells us we have to do something at a certain time, like during the holidays or the uh, visit of extended family that we tolerate from time to time. Maybe it's your spouse that's driving you up the wall. Maybe it's your job that's creating pressure. Maybe it's your children that's creating pressure. All we know is that when pressure shows up, the heat is on and things can get 
a little crazy. But as often is the case, the pressure led to tension. As in the case of our text, the tension began to rise between Martha and her sister Mary. Simple to see why. Martha is dealing with the pressure to take care of all that was required to have guests. There's the food that had to be prepared. There were things that needed to be cleaned, things that needed to be arranged. And Mary, well, was quite literally sitting on her butt. While Martha was doing all the work, Mary was enjoying sitting and listening to Jesus and hanging out with all the people that were there for this party that was all Martha's idea in the first place. And make no mistake about it, when some people are working very hard and others are not, there's going to be tension in the situation. And there were some there was some serious tension building from Martha's perspective towards Mary, which led to the inevitable confrontation. And this is what I find the most fascinating here. This is when Martha finally confronts Mary about the situation. I'm sure Martha was quite beside herself. How can she just sit there? How can she not be aware there's things that need to be done? And you ladies here ever feel like that having visions of strangling your husband and children instead of visions of sugar plums dancing in your head she was so irritated so she finally comes for the confrontation and what was interesting about the confrontation is that instead of going to Mary and dealing with Mary directly which is what we generally tend to do go after the person or persons we feel are making our lives quite inconvenient or miserable. Instead of doing that, she does something that was quite a bit different. And indeed, I believe, culturally acceptable at the time, and we're going to talk about this now, I'm going to spend a little bit more time with this, is that Martha goes to a third party. She goes to the guest of honor and goes to Jesus. Lord, she says, don't you care that she's not helping me? Tell her to help me. Now, despite the fact that there was confrontation and stuff here, the good thing was the fact that she did in fact go to a third party. Now, the reason I say this is important because we live in a culture today that really tells people that you should never, ever, ever, ever go to a third party. This is our business. It's our business. Nobody should know anything about our business. And we go out of our way, particularly in our homes, husbands and wives, to keep everybody else out of it. Don't tell your mom. Don't tell his dad. Don't tell your brothers, sisters, cousins, uncles, aunts. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody in the church. No, no, no. Okay, no. Don't tell a pastor. Good heavens. It's just the two of us. It's just the two of us. And, and we've got this. I'll tell you what. We live in probably the most anti-family culture ever known to man in the United States of America and in Western culture in general. It is as anti. Now, we can talk all we want about family values and caring for family and family at Christmas time. The reality is we live in a culture that hates and despises at some level family. 
First thing we do, as soon as we're old enough, we get as far away from these lunatics as conceivably possible. And we move away. And we gotta get, I gotta get away. Why? I gotta get away from my family. Oh, it's your family. Of course you gotta get away from them. They're all insane. And the family returns the favor and the parents, you know, as soon as they disapprove of the children in any way, shape or form, they cut the kids off. Don't you dare get married to you. You're getting married to you. I, I, I totally disapprove. You're, I'm not going to pay for your college anymore. I don't, I don't know what insanity drives that. I've never had anyone really explain to me the stupidity of such thinking. We're quick to disassociate our young and, of course, our old. Well, let's box them up as quickly as we can. Shove them someplace. We're very quick in this culture, unlike any other culture in the world. Even unlike cultures just south of the border. Very quick to shove our parents into homes. And I understand sometimes you don't have any other choice. And I pray to God I'm never having to face that situation. And if so, we'll deal with it the best we can. But we're very quick in this country to pull that trigger. We don't want it with us. God forbid. We don't want to live with us. Everything we possibly can. We want to disassociate from family at every single turn. And we create an environment, not only do we not want family, we don't want our extended faith family to know anything about what we're going with or struggling with either. It quite amazes me, to be very honest with you, the culture that we create where you've just got a man and a woman living all by themselves on an island. And you're playing survivor. And you're both working really hard to vote the other guy off. And most marriages is really about outwit, outlast, outplay. That's what it's about. Don't tell anybody. And we actually create an environment that brings out the worst in each other. Because when nobody can know anything about all business, people tend to act their very worst. I don't know why. There's something a little psycho with all of us. But it's interesting. When people start, you start including other people in some of your conflicts, how silly some of those conflicts can seem. Now, my darling red-headed wife here and I are known to just have spectacular arguments about some of the stupidest things on earth. Why? Who knows? Because we're like you. Until one of us goes, stop already. Goodness gracious. I'm telling you about this. I'm too embarrassed to tell you some of the things we fight about. Because it's asinine. But we fight nonetheless because we're on the island and we're playing survivor. And it is wild and it is crazy. What's funny about it? <laughs> I have the sneakiest suspicion that when we're going off on some asinine debate... That if one of you were standing there, we probably wouldn't be quite so mean. What do you think? It's amazing how also you kind of pull everything into perspective. <laughs> I shared in the first service when uh, we first moved to Stevens Point and uh, uh, I, we got big enough to where we could bring in somebody to help me pastor the church. And I called Lathan and said, would you, would you come and join us? And they prayed about it and then they came and and uh, when they first got there, you know, you guys back in Point will remember, you know, actually Point's always been, we've always struggled, but God has blessed us in spite of our story. It really is it's an amazing story when you think about it. We've always had one foot in a grave and the other on a banana peel. 
the whole time. You know, really, if you look at the financials and point, you think, oh, how did they do it? I don't know how we do it. We've just been doing it for years. We're just used to it by now. But uh, there was so little money and, and, uh, uh, and stuff so that the Duncans actually lived with Debbie and I for the first year. Was it a year and a half? Year and a half, 18 months, they lived in the same condo we did. And, uh, and actually, we had a great time. I, I loved it. I thought it was fabulous. Anyway, toward the end of their journey with us in our little cult, <laughs> Lynn, Lynn comes up to me. She says, you know what? She says, there's a real anointing in your home for marriage. And I said, really? She says, yeah. She says, Lathan and I have never gotten along so well <laughs> as when we lived with you guys for those 18 months. There's, there's a real anointing in your home. I said, no, there's not. And she looked kind of surprised. She says, what do you mean? I says, it's called, they can hear us. <laughs> Come on, somebody say amen. Yeah. yeah, if we could hear you, I'll bet you, you'd be a whole lot nicer than you allow yourselves. I don't know what that is. But for heaven's sakes, we allow ourselves to turn into little creatures we would never allow ourselves to do if anybody else heard saw bore witness to we don't want anybody we'll just be on our island and we have this culture and i and the amount of emails that i get from people all over the world literally uh, but, but but particularly in this country who really talk about they have just this horrible situation at home and uh and they're going for counseling but they ask me what should i do and, and I always inquire, and it turns out nobody knows what they're going through. Nobody. I dare say the very key for your relationship to go to the toilet is don't let anybody else know. Secrecy is what guarantees us the right to be obnoxious. When nobody else knows about our struggles, when anybody else knows about our arguments, when anyone else knows about our debates, for some reason in our heads we justify being at our very, very worst. And then they'll often counter to me, you know, say, so, well, you mean your pastor doesn't know? Well, no. You mean the elders don't know? No. Nobody in your church, none of your friends? No, well, no, no, no. We shouldn't let anybody else know our business. But we are seeing our counselor. You know, that, that's the... Now, I'm all for counseling, particularly when there's real personal issues and they're great at working through some stuff. But let's not kid ourselves. Counseling at some level is a professional excuse to continue to keep things a secret. Because the counselor can't tell anybody. You know your relationship's going to the toilet. All right? Yeah, we're having a hard... No, nobody will know, but we're seeing a counselor. Yeah, whoop these stink can do. You're still going to someone else who guarantees by law they can't tell anybody either. And we continue to keep this environment. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. How's that working for us, by the way? Look at us. Look at our culture. We have one of the most fractured homes in the history of mankind. You know, it's so interesting. When I challenge our culture like this, by the way, this is a secular culture. We need to quit thinking more like our secular culture, not thinking more like a biblical culture. 
But when I make these arguments, it's shocking how people say, well, no, no one should know. You know, it's like listening to people on the Titanic argue about what a great ship it is. That's a fabulous ship, Pastor. It's a great ship. The best people in the world built this ship. Yeah? You're dying. You're sinking. We've got to think differently. And as long as we continue with this nonsense of we're going to stay on the island all by itself, nobody else can know. We're going to struggle and struggle and struggle. We've got to stop. We have got to start getting third parties involved. And I don't mean make an appointment with me. Or even the church. Now, if you have to, if it spirals out enough, then so be it. But really, a lot of people are coming to counselors and people like us way before they need to. Because we don't have a culture that you actually let other people in your lives. We need to start developing a culture in this church where you start getting close enough to other couples, even just one or two or three other couples in your life, that you guys can literally go to and discuss your struggles with. We need to get that. Because when you start doing that, it starts showing, you know, because it's funny. When you're arguing, boy, it's just, this is absolutely important until you have to tell somebody else and then you realize how stupid this is. Seriously. Now, by the way, the person who usually is the most opposed to letting anyone know is usually the most offensive party. You know, my my husband's struggling with porn. You know, it's, it's hurting our marriage. Well, I promise you, he don't want anybody to know about that. Come on. I think it's mad and he hits me. But he doesn't think we should share that with anybody. I'll bet not. You need to start breaking the silence on some of these things. All of us. We need a different culture in this church. We need a culture where we really start opening to one another. Some of you who are really struggling the most, you need a mentor couple. You need to find a couple who has a successful marriage and say, man, can we just meet with you once a month? Just so tired. We're fighting about stuff that's just killing us about nothing. And talk about some of these issues. And by the way, if you have a husband or a wife that's doing things that are just outrageous, affairs, abuse of any kind, you do need to come talk to us. Somebody say amen. Because we'll have a come to Jesus meeting with a person. Come on. We will not tolerate that. Boy, and if I hear any of you guys hitting your wives, man, we are going to just get some football players to come over and pray with you. unacceptable I'm not talking about starting some weird cult where we're all living in the same compound with each other I'm just talking about being open and honest and breaking through this insane western culture that says no one should know, no one should know and go to the situation where they think you know, others need to know people need to know not everybody, but someone close enough to you you know, it used to be for thousands of years people lived in the same home with mom and dad they were older, they took care of them Cousins, uncles, everybody was around. You couldn't have gotten away with some of the... Don't cuss, Mark. You're a man of God. There's no way we'd get away with some of the behavior that we get away with today 100 years ago. Because family was so close. You'd have never gotten it. You'd have never done it. Grandma, grandpa, uncle, so many stuff and say, what? what? Stop that! But we've created this culture and in the Eastern culture in which these people live, it was totally appropriate because they were used to having third parties around all the time. And rather than get into it with Mary, 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 I don't want to have you. You're nothing but a mom. Yeah, you're getting money now. Because that spirals out very quickly. Right away. She just, she didn't even talk to her. Went straight to the third party. Jesus, tell her to get off her butt. 
help us out. It's a healthier form of confrontation. If you're fighting about things that are spiraling out, you need to stop. You need to start. And we're going to be working. I'm not just. This is going to take more than one sermon for this to get through our heads. But we're going to start talking about this more and more. We need to create a culture where you get off the island and you become part of a community. Again, not everybody needs to know your business, but you living in a situation where nobody knows, it's just the two of you, it's not going to work well. Well, from the confrontation, Jesus gets involved, and then comes the resolution. And this may shock quite a few of you Marthas out there who were convinced God is on my side. Surely God would agree with me. Look at him sitting around lazy bum. God would agree. God is always... You know, it's interesting. Whenever nations go to war, both sides are convinced God is on their side. Isn't that funny? Martha was convinced, and so she comes to Jesus, and Jesus will straight tell her to get off her butt. And then we see what Jesus says to Martha in verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Again, it's always that third party who seems to be able to put it into perspective. Mary's chosen what's better. It will not be taken away from her. In other words, relax a little bit. It will be fine. It will be fine. This is about sharing the word of God. She's listening to the word of God. We know you got all this stuff. Just, it doesn't have to be perfect. It will be just fine. The truth is, you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who can pull off the perfect family Christmas. More likely than not, A lot of people's Christmases will be marked by the very things this story was marked by. Pressure, tension, confrontation, and resolution. Just like Martha's event was. That doesn't mean you can't have a meaningful and wonderful Christmas. It's just not very likely that you will attain this perfect Norman Rockwell picture of a Christmas. Martha's event, you know, probably didn't feel very perfect to her. And I'm sure it was frustrating that the Lord put it in perspective and... She had to back off a bit. But I still dare say, even though it wasn't perfect, and maybe everything wasn't ready just at the right time, and I bet they just had a wonderful time. After all, Jesus was right there with them. How cool did that have to be? And here we are 2,000 years later still talking about her wonderful event that she created. So, well done, Martha. Well done, even though it didn't go exactly the way that you had planned. I'm going to ask our ushers to come at this time at all our different campuses and our musicians to get ready to play for the uh, communion time. So this morning, really two questions pointed at two different types, sets of people. One is, first of all, are, are you in a place where you're trying for this perfect Christmas is the pressure of the holidays and the pressure of trying to get everything right driving you crazy. Let me encourage you. Step back a little bit. Take a breath. I know, particularly for some of you who are just by nature perfectionists, this stuff drives you crazy. But just do your best. It doesn't always have to be perfect. And by the way, don't let circumstances determine your joy. The reason why some of you fight so hard to get everything perfect is quite frankly, you have a life that you can't have joy until everything's just right. 
your joy, your peace, your contentment comes from your circumstances. So you fight desperately. You get as intense. You can get as mean as a rattlesnake if it needs to be. Why? You have to get all the circumstances right because if it's not right, then you can't be happy. Let me encourage you. Don't live that way. I'm all for getting stuff right and doing the best you can and let's do this as well as we can. Let's have church the best we can and sometimes satellites work, sometimes they don't. I mean, you know, life is just not perfect. But rather than let circumstances control our joy, how about we let Jesus be the source of our joy? And circumstances can kind of come and go and it doesn't rock our world so much. So number one, let me encourage you, focus on Christ and not quite so much on the circumstances. And the second question I want to ask is, where are you at with Jesus this morning? You know what really makes Christmas perfect? It's not trees, gifts, or family all walking around in a morphine-like state of glee. What makes Christmas Christmas is Christ. Do you know this Christ? Have you experienced Christ in your life? It's just that simple. Say, well, I'm a nice guy. Well, that's great. I go to church from time to time. That's wonderful. But that's not going to cut it for you. Have you experienced Jesus Christ in your life? I'm going to ask us all to bow our heads in a word of prayer. If you're here this morning... Whether you're a first-time visitor or maybe you've been coming for years, but you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'm going to ask everybody to pray this along with me. But if you're willing to turn away from what you know is wrong in your life and put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross for us, his body was broken, his blood was shed, so that you could have forgiveness of sins. If you're willing to put your faith in that, you can experience, not just know about, but really experience God's love and grace in your life this morning. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God and that you loved me so much you went to the cross and took my punishment. I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. I now surrender my life to you. Amen. 